Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops, if we're stopping to get gas. You will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Other Hand is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hello, everyone. Great to be back for the latest edition of The Other Hand podcast. Jim has been away in Canada this week, hence we've had a bit of radio silence, a welcome rest for us busy podcasters. But I'm back today talking to an old friend of the podcast, a very welcome guest, Professor Shane O'Mara of Trinity College, Dublin. Regular listeners will know that We've had him on a few times over the course of the last few months for some fascinating discussions about all sorts of things, not least his recent book, which again comes very recommended by both Jim and myself. And anybody interested in the book should, can take a listen to the podcast that we did about it. But Shane does all sorts of different things, not least lecturing in neuroscience at Trinity College Dublin, as I said. Uh, but his recent Substack posts have been a particular interest to me as a business finance economics type I've noticed that Novo Nordisk which is a Danish drugs manufacturer developer research and development company been around for a long time has become Europe's most valuable company by market capitalization as we business types try to say that means its share price has gone up a lot and it replaced a luxury goods maker. Many people will have heard of LVMH, Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy. That was for a long time Europe's most valuable, biggest company. Novo Nordisk, this Danish drugs company, is now the biggest because of some developments that it's made in what is generally being termed weight loss drugs. There appear to be two. I'm not quite sure whether versions of the same thing. I'm sure Shane can enlighten me there. Novo Nordisk is a company that has a long history in all sorts of different things, but principally in the most recent past has been a company that manufactures drugs and other therapeutics for diabetics. It manufactures at least half the world's insulin, for example. So it's, so it's a pretty important company and helps a lot of people, particularly with type 2 diabetes. But it noticed that in terms of its drug development, that some of its diabetes type drugs were potentially helpful with a number of things, not least was weight loss. And they're very excited about what they've managed to produce so far. 
and they are very, very excited about the sort of things that they think they're going to be able to do in the years ahead, not just for helping people to lose weight, but they've got stuff in the pipeline, very early on in the pipeline, that they think might be able to help people uh, not get fat in the first place. There are all sorts of caveats, pharmaceutical caveats, that normally come with this sort of thing. It's early days. These drugs are very expensive, so they can be hard to get, and they do have side effects. But Shane has taken an interest in this from uh, a brain scientist's point of view, so I'm just going to throw the floor open to him and ask him what he thinks about these developments. Are they as big as some people seem to think they are, Shane? Yeah, thanks, Chris. I think the answer is yes. So long story short, uh, control of hunger and appetite is, of course, fundamental to life, and uh, we all have a a drive to eat, and without it, we're not going to live. The problem is our drive to eat evolved in a landscape where uh, food and food resources were actually poor. To uh, you know, you had to go and hunt, you had to go and forage, you had to uh, climb trees, you had to take risks in order to get food. And uh, as a result, humans are exquisitely tuned to getting food and to storing food. Uh, uh, sorry, storing calories in the form of fat, and that makes sense when you think about us having evolved in a in a landscape where food was not available. Um, now, the control of appetite is kind of interesting. You've, you've basically, I'll make this really, really simple. You've, you've got two things to think about, insulin and glucagon. Uh, insulin helps lower your glucose levels after you've eaten. Glucagon signals to the brain that uh, you're full. Uh, and the problem is these uh, molecules are produced in the gut. Uh, the brain responds to them and the brain then has to say, okay, don't want to eat anymore. Uh, but uh, it would be nice if that was a very simple and straightforward story. It isn't. Uh, we tend to overeat simply because of this problem that we evolved in a landscape where there wasn't much food and now we live in a calorie-rich environment. What's stunning about uh, the Novo Nordisk drug, uh, semaglutide, is, is a very straightforward thing. Um, obesity and overweight brings problems. Um, it, it heightens your risk of cancer, it heightens your risk of heart disease, metabolic syndrome, and a whole lot of things like this. Um, and people uh, have gone to all sorts of means to try and control weight. They've taken amphetamines, for example, to try and drive their weight down. They get bariatric surgery to reduce the size of the gut. Um, and these are all not very good pieces or ways to lose weight. Bariatric surgery can work, but it comes with morbidity. And then there's the old advice, eat less, exercise more. It doesn't make sense because that's not how your body is built. If you exercise more, you eat more calories. <laughs> your brain has you on a ratchet. So that piece of advice is, is, is cruel and stupid and misguided. Um, what this drug does is tweak the feeling of being full. Um, and it reduces people's cravings. Um, so it mimics the natural action of the drug in, in that your or the, the compound that your body produces. Um, and people find the clamor to eat, the, the, the feeling of needing to find food goes down. And it's, it's really, really quite remarkable. And there's loads of other interesting effects uh, of this drug as well, which we can talk about. But unsurprisingly, this drug is suddenly everywhere. I was in New York in April. Uh, where they can advertise drugs freely. And all over the New York subway, there are signs for Wegovi, which is the uh, the trade name that semaglutide is, is sold under. 
Yeah, the, the stats about weight gain are extraordinary. And uh, I'm not sure whether I fully understand why this has happened in this way. But certainly in a number of countries, we're getting heavier. And in a very small number of countries, there are an awful lot of people getting obese. And the the stats in England, for example, are, I think, typical of a, a small group of countries. And I'll come on to that in a minute. But three quarters of people aged 45 to 74 in England are overweight or obese. And it's just going up all the time. There are similar data for Ireland. But it seems that the these sorts of stats where we are just getting fatter and heavier and more obese are concentrated in about six countries worldwide. So it's not a global phenomena yet anyway. It certainly correlates with being rich in monetary terms or GDP terms. As an economist, I can spot the correlation. But is there causation there, Shane? The, the, the fact that you know once you hit a certain level of economic development, you become fatter is there something causal going on there? Is it, is it as obvious as that? Yeah, no, I don't think so, because the Japanese aren't fat uh, oh. and the Japanese are rich. Uh, but when Japanese people move to the US, they get fat. Uh, there's there's lots of data to show that actually the, the environment we find ourselves in is to use the, the lingo obesogenic, um, that the, the food choices that we have available to us matter enormously. Um, you know, the, the, we know well about the, the, the Mediterranean diet where you've got lots of olive oil and fresh vegetables and all of those kinds of things. If those food choices are what you've got, well, then you'll tend to be slimmer than you would have been if what you've got is the, the local chipper down the road and lots and lots of cheap access to uh, carbohydrate in the form of crisps and sweets and sugary drinks and those kinds of things. One of the things about the data that has also struck me is that I looked at country-by-country uh, country numbers uh, illustrating just the proportion of people's diets that are in ultra-processed foods. And guess what? The UK and Ireland has, uh, are amongst the highest, if not the highest, proportion of getting on for nearly 50% of our diets are for ultra-processed food. And the nearer you get to the Mediterranean, the lower that number gets. And again, that seems to correlate with these other overweight statistics. And so that's just a matter of science. I mean, presumably by ultra-processed, we mean foods that have been saturated with sugar, fat, and salt, which is what we know food manufacturers have been aware of for a very long time. Yeah, it's very that, highly palatable. and That we want. So I'm interested in, in, in your opinion, and I don't know whether we have the data, whether we have the facts to know the answer to this question. So I don't know is a perfectly acceptable answer, Shane, is how much of this is uh, chemical stuff that go, are we just passively responding to chemicals in our body that tell us to eat? And then that's a function of availability and that the more availability that there is of this stuff, the more crisp aisles there are in our supermarkets, the more chippers there are around the corner. We just simply passively respond to that. Or is it is there is there something behavioral going on? I remember when I was a young, much younger person I sh in, in a house share, as, as, as we did back then, um, a friend who was sharing the house struggled with their weight and put a big sign up on their bedroom door uh, uh, just with a question. And it simply said, eating again, so that it was a reminder that every time they were on their way to the fridge or the kitchen, uh, that maybe they should stop right there and don't open the door. And that simple trick worked for them. 
which suggests that something psychological was going on, something behavioral was going on. And, and that's an anecdote. It's not data. But, but what do you think? So it, it, there's a lot of things go on. And what we know is that ultra processed foods reshape uh, the brain's reward systems. They make people more sensitive and more likely to choose these kinds of foods. And uh, like I keep emphasizing, evolution has fine tuned us to be food seeking because we evolved in, a, in an environment that uh, uh, food was not available or easily available. But what's I, just to come back to semaglutide for a moment, um, the this idea that there are intrusive thoughts and thought lingering around food, or it could be uh, other substances that pe- people might uh, overuse, turns out to be correct. That there's a, a very large literature showing that intrusive uh, food related thoughts happen repeatedly in people uh, who have a problem uh, with obesity, and. Uh, Intrusive thoughts uh, around drug seeking, of course, are very common in people with substance abuse disorders. And there's a an, now it's just an anecdote, but uh, I, th- I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, a recent uh, uh, series of case studies have, have examined what's going on in people's heads when they think about food and when they're on semaglutide. And one uh, person says, and I'll just I'll read the quote. She says, my mind is much quieter now. It's much more peaceful. This has changed my thought processes in a way that has just improved my life. Um, it, it seems like uh, semaglutide and these other compounds drive down this kind of clamor that you would have in your head for food seeking and reward seeking. And it, it seems like the kind of retune you, reset you in, a, in an interesting way so that uh, this kind of obsession with obtaining calories uh, 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 seems to be driven down. Now, we don't know the detail of what's going on, but we do know there's a kind of a complex interplay between, you know, if you want to get food, you have to form that intention, you have to think about it, you have to know where you're going to source it. And then you've got this interplay between what's going on in other bits of the brain to do with the reward you get from the food and then how you metabolize it. Um, And... These are all dynamic things. <laughs> one talks to the other, but the one that we're only really aware of is, is the thinking about the food. Uh, you're not really aware of what, what uh, the rate at which you're burning calories is because you've never taken a part in an experiment to quantify that. So that's the one thing that people are, are aware of. And it, it, the curious thing is that um, while this drug has a really interesting effect on appetite, it also seems to drive down alcohol use um, and there are studies in both humans and in animals, because animals become addicted to uh, alcohol as well, uh, showing that rats, for example, when given a, when they, they're made addicted to alcohol by giving them alcohol in their water, and then they're given a choice between water and alcohol. If they're on semaglutide, they just don't bother with the alcohol <laughs> anymore. Wow. Um, and there are some data showing that this is true for heroin as well. Um, so accidentally, we may have... Uh, a general solution to uh, uh, substance use disorders, as the, as the phrase it goes, um, accidentally driven by this discovery to do with appetite, that actually focusing on the brain's reward systems was a bad, maybe not the right way to go about this, that what we needed to do was focus on craving. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I think I should stress, I probably should have done this right at the beginning of the pod, that neither of us are exercising any judgment about people who are thin or not. Um, sometimes these things are just choices and people prefer to, to have one body shape or another. It's nothing to do with that. The only reason we're making these observations is because many people seem to prefer not to be overweight and that there is a body of uh, medical evidence saying that it's a good thing not to be overweight from a whole host of risk factors, not least cancers and and other diseases. Uh, and we know from Novo Nordisk's share price that an awful lot of people want these drugs in order to be able to uh, achieve their goals of losing some weight. So we're trying to do this in, in a very non-judgmental way. But in keeping with that, one of the things that is often said about eating, and this speaks to, I think, in a very crude way, its psychological dimension, is people describe comfort eating. And is that related to what you're saying about the the, 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 the effects that the drug has on quietening the mind? And that the the, the, the craving for comfort, the craving to quieten our thoughts, which can drive all of us mad, um, at least me, that's for sure, uh, that this is a way, uh, is, is it perhaps an antidepressive drug? Uh, now, that's a really interesting point. And there's a suspicion in the literature that, and it's literally just a suspicion, that there might be some form of antidepressant effect as well. Uh, it, it, it looks like... Um, as I said, there's this compound is produced in the in the gut in response to uh, uh, the feeling of fullness. Uh, it diffuses into the brain and it has effects all over the brain. Uh, so the, the the best current answer I can give you is that there's a kind of a wow going on uh, among medical scientists at the moment, and there are clinical trials starting on it for every sort of possibility, including, as you've just mentioned, uh, for major depressive disorder. It, I, I would not be surprised at all to discover that uh, there, there is a, a subgroup of patients uh, for whom this drug actually seems to have uh, an antidepressant effect. We can't claim that at the moment uh, because the data aren't there, but I, I simply just wouldn't be surprised that that were the case. Wow. So as you say, <clears throat> excuse me, this really does have wow factor. And uh, I've often run various ideas in the past by you, Shane, and you've expressed uh, more often than not, may I say, a certain degree of skepticism about the latest new, new thing. And I'm thinking in particular about your skepticism about artificial intelligence. Uh, and it seems to me that on this one, you are a true believer, as opposed to your skepticism about the other big latest thing in financial markets, not least our daily and also our daily lives, 
um, AI and uh, chatbot type models. Um, you, you seem to be a believer in in this. Well, uh, what I'd say is that the data are really remarkable and we have never seen anything like this before. Um, and what is really remarkable is the, the number of organ systems uh, that it seems to affect in a positive way. So just to give you a, a, a different example, and, and I'm, I'm not somebody who works on the kidney, I, I uh, work on the brain. Um, there, Novo Nordisk, uh, recently cancelled uh, a trial that they were doing on this compound semaglutide because it was so successful. Um, it improved renal flow in people with uh, kidney trouble um, in a really, really remarkable way. Very, very quickly and very, very early. They met the targets. Uh, they thought it would take months and months and months for an effect to show, but actually the effects turned up very, very quickly. They've had similar effects for colorectal cancer, um, and there's a whole bunch of other ones coming out. So I, I, am I a true believer? I think there's something really remarkable happening here, uh, something that is quite different to uh, anything we've had any expectation of. Um, and what stuns me about it is that um, this literature on on what are called the GLIP uh hormones goes back to the 1920s probably even a bit further than that so there's been kind of a hundred years of basic research have led up uh to this kind of point and we're now at a point where um the a whole series of kind of diverse conditions all seem to be capable of being modulated by this one compound now i i don't want to be too rah-rah about it there are adverse events. There are people who can't take it. It makes them nauseous. It makes them uh, diarrheic. It gives them gastrointestinal problems. There are other problems that have been uh, reported as well. And I, I should also say, I don't own any shares in Novo Nordisk. I was about to ask you. <laughs> no, I, 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 in fact, I don't own any shares in anything at all. I'm, I'm possibly the worst person in the world to come to for financial advice. Um, so I, I, I can't... Uh, I, 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 I'll, I'll let you, you do own them indirectly via whatever academic pension fund arrangements that you have. But well, I, I have whatever Trinity has, uh, yes. which I think the state owns. <laughs> so may, I, I don't know the detail, but I, I certainly don't own, I don't own any shares myself, so... Maybe I should. Neither do neither. I do not own any shares in Novo Nordisk. At least none that I am aware of, anyway. But uh, so my my more general point is that these drugs are are really quite remarkable. Um, and you know, you you brought up the issue of of uh, snack manufacturers. I think we're going to have a really interesting debate and thing happen over the next uh, ten or so years. What we have is is a way for people to curb. Uh, their use perhaps of alcohol and certainly of snack foods and ultra palatable foods. Um, are they the manufacturers of these uh, 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 snacks and things going to take a big hit over the uh, the next uh, coming years because they, they've created foods that cause us to crave them. They're high calorie, they're highly palatable. And now we can turn off the desire just like that. Uh, that's an interesting question because uh because we've known for so long that ultra-processed foods are essentially about cramming as much sugar, fat, and salt into these these foods in a way that appeals to our very strange palates. 
because um, it, it's a strange evolutionary process, isn't it, Shane, that cause it, ca- causes us to want stuff that actually ends up killing us. Yeah, but you see, it, this stuff is very good for you if you don't get it very frequently. Um, high fat, high salt, high calorie uh, is really, really fast. Uh, you metabolize it really quickly. You can eat it quickly and you can turn it into fat as a store for the winter uh, quickly. Um, but what we've done is create an environment around us where all this stuff is available to us and our evolutionary impulses are very, very straightforward. Eat this stuff. It's good for you. This is only an aside, but one of my puzzles that I I sometimes think about is whether or not Darwin was was fully right in his theory of of evolution because I would, would have thought at the heart of it was that evolution is something that continues and goes on and on. And if you looked at the state of the world at the moment, you might think that we're not a terribly evolved species. But when we're, when are we going to evolve the uh, mechanisms that stop us from killing ourselves by consuming all this stuff is, is a question that I know that is, is incredibly difficult to answer. I'll and give I th- you a straight answer very quickly. Uh, the answer is we're not, because the selection effects for these things uh, happen after typical age of reproduction. So uh, if, if you wanted to evolve an evolutionary mechanism that would counter these things, uh, what you need to do is have uh, the, the consumption of these things kill you before you get to reproduce. So you would have a selection effect in favor of people who don't die from them. But these are diseases of aging and evolution does not select against aging because you're past reproduction age. Instead, what evolution has done is gifted us this enormous brain and uh, the capacity to work together to solve this problem in an indirect way via these kinds of drugs. You asked about the manufacturers, which I I then proceeded not to answer your question. Because they've known, we've known for for eons, that sugar, fat and salt are the ways to sell their products. Um, Some governments have tried to legislate for that by things like, via things like the sugar tax or mandating lower salt content for food. And of course, the food manufacturers fight back um, uh, very hard and lobby and do all sorts of things to try and prevent this legislation, which has been mostly, not entirely, successful. So your question about the power of these companies and what are they going to do, uh, I think is, is an open one. I don't know how they are going to respond to this. If I was a food manufacturer listening or a highly processed food manufacturer listening to you, I would say the rational thing to do would be to either buy shares in Novo Nordisk as a hedge against my business taking a dive, or maybe to diversify into Mediterranean diet style products. Um, but that that's, I'm not a food manufacturer, so I don't know how they're going to respond. But logically, if these things do come through, uh, that the potential that you have described, emphasis on potential rather than reality at the moment, if that potential is realized in any material form, then uh, the business model of a lot of these ultra-processed food manufacturers is going to be very badly hit, absolutely. And so, Well, they're going to find themselves in a situation like tobacco manufacturers. Exactly. Um, and, you know, they're moving towards vaping, they're moving towards other uh, routes to market, and uh, maybe they'll just go extinct, like the uh, whale oil extraction yeah, but people of 150 years ago. Of course, tobacco manufacturers are not out of business just yet. They responded in all sorts of different ways. They they did lots of mergers with each other, and they found other markets for their products. Uh, that, of course, is is something that uh, is is notable there. And for many decades after the the first, 
I think it was in America, the Surgeon General there. Yeah, in 1963. Drew, or drew the first link between lung cancer and smoking. Um, the share prices of those tobacco manufacturers, by and large, were not damaged for a very, very long time because of the because a they sold very addictive products that people found very hard to give up, and then when when people in the West, in particular, started to give up smoking. Uh, they started to sell their products to people <clears throat> elsewhere in the world, shall we say. It, in, and for a while, that was very, very successful. And now, as you say, they, they're diversifying. Um, but so I think it'll be a while before uh, a hedge fund is set up to uh, go long over Nordisk and short tobacco, uh, short food manufacturing companies. But it certainly, uh, on the face of it, looks looks likely to be a sensible strategy. Shane, before, before I let you go, I want to talk to you specifically because we're in December. It's Christmas. And one of the things that we all do over Christmas um, is overeat. And that's very relevant to what we're talking about now. And I think that you've answered my question, which was going to be, why is it over Christmas that do we all put on weight? And the obvious answer is we eat too much. But then why do we eat so much? I think was answered by your earlier point about if it's there, we eat it. Um, yeah. and it's, it's availability. And there's, a, there's another thing that we are hardly aware of that goes on as well. Um, the proportion of light to dark changes during the course of the year. And uh, ambient light levels uh, are at their lowest uh, as we're coming into this time of year. And that also has effects on our responses to food. Uh, it, it changes our metabolism. We don't burn energy as, as, as readily. Uh, because you have this amazing effect of, of light pacing our circadian rhythm. Um, we spend less time in light. We spend uh, more time in dark. And I, as far as I'm aware, you don't get these effects at the equator uh, where uh, uh, you have more or less even proportions of, of day and night right throughout the year. Fascinating. The other thing that the Christmas season always brings, and I guess this is a human question rather than a question for a neuroscientist. It's more a question for a psychotherapist. I'm sure you you interact with one or two of those in the faculty. But we're all going to have to spend an awful lot of time with people that we don't normally spend time with. And Christmas is a time of great family celebrations. And it's absolutely wonderful when we get together with people that we haven't seen for a while. But the data also show that it's a time of family rows. It's a time of... Uh, where people after Christmas ring their psychotherapist or their marriage guidance counsellor a lot. Any tips on, for people on how to deal uh, from a neuroscientist perspective with their family gatherings? I, I think try not to drink too much. Great. I, I think people are disinhibited under the influence of alcohol and they say things that they might not say. Uh, so maybe uh, uh, if you if, if, uh, you could get out and walk more and uh, drink a little less. That might help oh, yeah. everybody. Good, good advice at any time, not just Christmas. Uh, and maybe one other thing that's not noticed, uh, perhaps, is is uh, people tend to congregate in hot, stuffy rooms. Open the windows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let a bit of air in. Shane, it's been a great conversation, as always. I suspect this particular topic of these weight loss drugs and their potential <laughs> um, is something to which we we should and will return um, in, in the months ahead. But if I don't get a chance um, to speak to you before Christmas, have a, a fabulous time. And thanks very much for all your contributions this year. And we'll be speaking to you in the new year. That's great, Chris. Thank you very much. Uh, if, if I might advertise, I have three pieces on uh, 
these drugs up on my Substack. One last week, this one this coming week, and one the week after, if people are interested. I'm sure people will be will be very very interested. And that was going to be my concluding remark. Do read Shane's books. Do read his Substack, particularly on this issue of these incredible drugs that Novo Nordisk is is producing. Thoroughly recommend all of Shane's work. And again, a very very big thank you to Professor Shane O'Mara. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I am a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.